So we're starting a new, um, a new series today. It's called Possess the Land. A lovely big mountain there that we want to climb. It's always difficult to possess the land. Oftentimes there's uh, wars and, and uh, conquering and difficulties that have to be overcome when we try and possess the land. So today we want to talk about possessing the land. In Exodus chapter 33, uh, verses 14 to 15, we have a, an incident where, where Moses is talking to God and uh, God has told Moses he wants him to go and to, to get the people who are in bondage to Egypt. Remember, you've got to let my people go. So um, Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells him to let them go. But before he goes there, God says to him very clearly, he says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. It will be fine for you I'll be fine. He says, the Lord replied to him. He says, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses says these words. He says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. That's an interesting idea. The idea is that it's going to be difficult, but we don't want to go anywhere if God is not going to go with us. We don't want to possess the land. We don't want to try and do something without God being with us. Amen. So it's our prayer today that God would accompany us, would walk with us. And we know he told us he, he would never leave us, nor would he ever forsake us, where we may boldly say the Lord is our helper and we don't have to fear what men shall do unto us. He, he's going to go with us. He's going to be with us. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, we're told by the prophet Isaiah that Jesse, which was, which was David's great-grandfather, Jesse was David's father, I think, wasn't it? David's father? Jesse was David's father and David, King David, was the line from which Jesus came. And the prophet says this, out of the stump of Jesse's family, which is out of his line, out of his ancestral line, will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch, and he's talking about Jesus the man, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And it says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is going to have the spirit upon his life. He's going to be full of the spirit. And when he comes and and walks with us, the spirit of God is walking with us. He's moving with us. And I want to focus on the fact that it's the spirit of wisdom and understanding. If you're going to possess the land, you need wisdom and you need understanding. And if we have God's Holy Spirit with us, if the Holy Spirit is in us, if the Holy Spirit is helping us, we have all the wisdom and all the understanding of God with us to help us to possess the land. That's really important because sometimes when you're going into a new place and and it's strange and you don't know what's happening in that new place, it's easy to get confused about what's taking place. That's when you really need wisdom. You need to have understanding. And so we're focusing on the wisdom and the understanding of God in today's lesson. Today's lesson is all about getting wisdom and understanding. And here's some wisdom and understanding when we possess the the new land. In Isaiah 61 and verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, says Jesus. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim to the captives the release, and prisoners will be free. And so Jesus is here to help us to take over the land, to break out of where we're at and to go into a new place and to possess the land. Now, the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. They'd got to Egypt because there was a famine in the land. If you remember the story, if you read back through Genesis, um, 
Abraham and his kids were all in the, and there was a great famine that came on the land, and then the, they, they, they found out uh, that Pharaoh had, and their brother Joseph was up in the hierarchs of the Pharaoh because he'd been traded off there. We won't go through the whole story, but they all decided to go to Egypt, and they lived in Egypt for about 430 years. And while they were living in Egypt, they got all their needs met because God set it up that Egypt would look after them. But Egypt then became a place of slavery for them. They grew so many that Egypt decided the only way that we can control all these Jews is to put them into forced labor. And they made them the slaves for the Egyptians. And when Moses came, Moses was given the task to take all of the children of Israel out from the land of Egypt, take them to the promised land so they could possess the promised land. He was to take this whole group of people and there were quite a number of thousands of them at that point of time and to take them to the promised land to inhabit Canaanite so that's what he was going to do and the Holy Spirit was going to go with him and he's going to help him God said I'm going to be with you the whole time when they were coming towards the promised land in numbers we we get these words while they camped near the Jordan River, so they've traveled, remember, all the way through the desert and they've come to the promised land. They've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years and they've come to the promised land. And God says to Moses, he says, while they camped near the Jordan River on the plain of Moab, opposite Jericho, the Lord spoke to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Now, this is the instructions. Moses was told he wasn't going to go into the promised land. He wasn't going to go and inhabit the new land. He was told to give these instructions to the children who were going to go. When you cross the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, you must drive out all the people living there. Yeah, there were people living in Canaan. So the Jews had to take over the land that they were living in. Abraham was told when he first started his journey that God, he said to Abraham, you're going to go and you're going to possess this land. This is the land everywhere your foot is going to go, you're going to possess the land that's going to be there. He says, but not just yet. He says, because the wickedness of that place hasn't built to its full uh, standard. God was saying, I'm not going to punish them yet. I'm going to let them go a little longer. And as they, the people in Canaan were going further and further into sinfulness and into wickedness, the, the, the debt was building up before God and God said, now I'm going to use Israel to punish them for their sin. So they had really built up. They were right into, the Canaanites were right into a whole lot of really bad stuff, child sacrifices and all that sort of stuff was what they were doing. And uh, God said, no, we've got to stop that. So he took Israel to the promised land and said, this land is going to be you. You must drive out all the people living there. You must destroy all their carved and molten images. That's the idols which they bowed down to. And demolish their pagan shrines. Take possession of the land and settle in it because I have given it to you to occupy. So they had to take possession of a land and they had to drive out the pagan inhabitants that were in it. And when the Lord God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy it, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Vegemites. <laughs> and when the Lord your God, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them, make no treaties with them, and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and your sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. 
Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars, cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Now, why it seems so barbaric that a nation would go in there and destroy utterly a whole group of nations that were not believing in God. God had decided that Israel would be like a picture of what our lives is like. He decided that that whole thing played out in history was going to be like a picture of what would be played out in our lives. We were in the world caught in sin, in slavery to sin. We were addicted to many things. We were bound up. We weren't in control. Something else was controlling our lives. And Jesus came to set us free. He came to make us free. He came to take us out of Egypt. We came out of Egypt and they went through the Red Sea. Like we come out of the world, we go through baptism. And then we start wandering in the wilderness as it were. But God is leading us. He's there in front of us. And he's there behind us. He's providing us food. He's providing us manna. He's providing us the ability to, to get along. He's showing us which way to go. That's what it's life in life, like in life. God is leading us like he led the children of Israel. And he wants us to come to a promised land. And the promised land is right there. We have to go through the Jordan. Jesus brings us through the Jordan, our own personal Jordan, to a promised land. But there are many inhabitants in that promised land, inhabitants from the past. It's like we are brought into a new place. Spiritually speaking, God wants us to clear the place in which we are living of all the things that we used to do which were pagan, which were not of God. And so in our lives we may have, and this is personally now, we may have idols in our own lives. We may have things that we've built up in our own lives, things that we worship in our own life, things that we pray about and and things that we obey which are not of God. And God says, if you want to be free, if you want to be really free, you've got to get rid of all the idols on the inside of your life. As the Jews were told to get rid of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Vegemites, as they had to get rid of all of these, you have to get rid of all the things that are inside your life that are controlling you that are not of me. So that's what God is doing. That's the picture that he's showing us here through Deuteronomy. He says, you can't, he says, you can't leave anything there. Because if you leave something there and you don't clean it up with God, what happens is your kids will join up with something that's wrong. And your kids will be worse off than you. And if your kids don't know to break it off, then that'll go down. And in the end, you'll fall under the wrath of God because the wrath of God is coming against people who do those things. See, God wants us to recognize that our lives have to be his lives, chosen for him, perfect for him. He wants us to work that through in our lives. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 21, there's this little verse that comes after. I mean, and, and if you read 1 John, it's a beautiful book. It talks about the incredible love of God. It talks about the amazing love of God. In chapter 2, it says, you know, the love of the world is, is this, and, but you know, you've got to have the love of God in your life. And it talks about the love of God. And in the very end, he, 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 he says this, little children, keep yourself away from idols 
from idols. And you think, well, we don't have any idols here in Australia. We don't have any idols around us. I mean, there may be some Buddha sitting somewhere or something, but that's not really an idol. That's just an artifact that they know they put in their gardens because they like to, you know, it's become almost normal now because it's just part of our vogue way of living, you know, just the way we do it. But he says, get rid of idols. The New Living Translation says it very carefully. It says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your life. Now, I like that. Anything that might take God's place in your life. That's the whole point. An idol takes the place of worship. Worship. Now, this is all about worshipping God. The first commandment is to worship God. The first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So this love for God is an expression of worshipping God. Now in the Greek and in the Hebrew, there's a, a thing that's common in terms of the way they view worship. In the, in the Hebrew way, there's two words that talk about worship. The first one is shaka and the second one is abad. The first one, it means to bow down, to protest, protest uh, sorry, to depress and to prostrate before a superior. So if I was to worship somebody, I would have to get down and sort of... You, you've, seen the, you've seen what it looks like if, you, if I stand over here. Say I was to worship um, this music stand. Th- this is the attitude. The worship stand is greater, so I bring myself lower. I bring myself so much lower, so I bow down very low like this and touch my head on the floor. That's... That's the say, that's the say to the music stand. Oh, great and mighty music stand. Oh, wonderful music stand that is far exceeding of me. I am but a low worm in your presence, the music stand. There you go. And, and, and to put myself really low. That's why you get that, that prostrate. Fly right out like that, right down low, as far as you can go, because that is bigger than you. Oh, you say, well, I don't do that to anything. I isn't, don't you? You may do. Let's talk about it. Abide is to work to serve, to, to make yourself a servant of, to surrender, to subject yourself to another. So that's another word for worship. It's those two words. So that means it's like, oh, the worship, the, the, the great music stand. We shall, we shall, I have to buy something to put the great music stand. I'll buy a table. This is a very expensive, it has to be the best table. I have to work hard to earn the money to find the best table so I can put the great music stand on the best table. Oh, great music stand. We exalt you to your highest place on the best table. Oh, get down really low. Kiss the ground. Oh, great. And, uh, but it's not a very good music stand table. I have to. I need one of solid gold. That's going to cost a lot of money. I have to work really hard now and pay a lot more to get a table for the great music stand to sit upon. And so I might spend my whole life working and labouring to buy the great table on which the great music stand sits. I serve it. I work. I, I give myself as a slave to it to establish. Something for the great music stand to sit upon. That's the idea of worship. 
Something that you work for, something that you work towards, something that you pay off, something that you commit yourself to, like a car or a TV set that you slave for so you can have it because it's the best. It's got a big flat screen. It goes right across the wall. You haven't got one as good as mine. I'll sit down and I'll just revel in its beauty. Her great TV screen. Now listen to me. That's the Greek. I mean, see, that's the Hebrew word. What about the Greek word? The Greek word's two words. Proskneo. It has the idea of bowing down. So it's the same as the... It's the same as the Hebrew word, but it has this other idea of kissing. Like you kiss the ring off. Would you like to kiss that? No, you wouldn't like to do that? But someone, oh, let me kiss your ring. That's the idea of worshipping. So when the Pope puts his hand out like that and you're meant to kiss the ring on the Pope, it's, an, it's like a worship thing. You're honouring him, you're worshipping him. So this whole idea is to bow down and to have such great love for somebody or something that you would just throw yourself to work for them all the time. And the, the second word in the Greek is the same as the second word about in the Hebrew. It means to work or serve, to make yourself a servant of, a service or hire. It's like, I'm going I'm to put myself out, I'll, I'll just work for you all my life. I'll hire myself out and I'll work for you all my life. Now, 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 now think about that. That's what worship is. So what in our lives do we do that to? What in our lives do we do that worship thing to? What in our lives do we bow down to? Well, an idol is anything or any attitude or any emotion or any person that I bow down to, work for and serve, that takes the place of God in my heart. You know, I I remember when I was a young man, Sitting in a, in, a, in a service that was a youth service, and I had a Swedish girlfriend. Hey? Yes, I know. She was hot. Anyway, she didn't love Jesus like I love Jesus. I was coming to love Jesus. I was coming out of, coming out of that place of being away from him and coming toward him. And so she sat there, and, and I can remember. It was so clear. The guy gave this altar call at the end of the service after he was talking about putting God first in your life. And I knew God was saying, me or her. Me or her. And I sat there. This is a true story, Onella. It was true. I sat there. She wasn't quite as beautiful as you, Onella, but but I sat there. And I thought, I've got to choose now between the girl and God. I can remember the, the conflict. Uh, she wasn't having any point of conflict. She wasn't thinking about it. But I was thinking about it. And God was speaking to me and saying, are you going to worship her? Are you going to work for her? Are you going to put her first? Because he knew what he had for me. He knew what was coming. He knew what if I had followed this one, he knew that I wouldn't be in the will of God and wouldn't do the right, right thing. Because he knows the future from the end. He knows where. So he knew that it was, t- I had, he had to, Put it to me. Are you going to follow me, Mark, or are you going to follow her? And you know what? I got up off my chair and I thought, you know, this is really hard. But I love God more than I love her. So I had to get rid of an idol. I had to get rid of this person in my life who was, had become an idol, who I'd 
carve shoes for or do paint a picture or or just hang out there for every breath that she's I had to make a decision that this was not going to be my little God that I bowed down to. She was not going to be the thing I worshipped. That God Almighty, heaven and earth, the creator of heaven and earth, he was the one that I was going to bow down and worship to. And so God actually, he said, this person in your life is taking my place. But what else in our lives takes God's place? It might be that addiction that you have. You know, you work hard. What for? The addiction. Just to get that next one. You take all your money, you, you sort it all out. Like, Let's see, you know, how much have I got? You know, rent. Um, you know, and addiction. I haven't got enough money. You're working hard for it. It set itself up inside of you. It says, obey me. Feed me. Do what I say. And inside of you, you find that you have to get down low because it's bigger and stronger than you. You might not love it, but you love it, but you hate it, but you love it. It's an It's an addiction. It's got you. Well, it might be an emotion. It might be an emotion that comes over you and floods over you. And it's saying, obey me. Fear now. Fear. This is really scary, hey? You could really shake yourself to death about this. Terrible things could happen if you keep on doing these things. You know, you ought to worry about that. Your health could be affected. Oh, maybe you see that big word, see cancer. Ooh. And inside, it's in your head, talking to you, talking to you, talking to you, and looking for you to get down low and saying, I can't resist this. It's too big for me to resist. Get down really low and say, oh, great fear, great fear. I worship you, great fear. Now listen to me. You ask yourself the question, how much do you, you know, I can't eat that because that's got that in it. And that might give me cancer. Or I can't do that because that's that and uh, that might give me cancer. You see, it sets itself up in your head. keeps talking to you. And your whole life is lived around. It's like calories. I need to be thin. I can't be fat. If I'm fat, that's terrible. Think about that. So we go down the grocery shop. We go down the, we go down the aisle and we, we look down the aisle and we say, we pick up the... Yogurt. Turn it over. What am I reading? Low fat. That's my baby. Oh, God. Hey? It's deceiving. Oh, okay, I gotta, I gotta, what have I got to look for? What have I got to look for? I've got to read the right labels. Sugar. Ah, it's got too much sugar. That's not my baby. What's this? Nice sugar. And I had to do That's my baby. Okay, and, I, and when it would only take me five minutes, it takes me five hours to get down the dairy side just so I can get my groceries. Why? Because I'm working hard and serving hard at something that has become a stronghold in my mind, that's become an idol, that's demanding my attention. It's demanding me to work for it. There are so many associations the people you hang with. I mean, if you want a new life, you have to have new associations. You really do. You have to start with new friends because your old friends, they command some sort of respect. And if you're not 
moving with their beat, you're not moving. So when you start going to your friends, sometimes bad company corrupts good character, the Bible tells us. Bad company corrupts good character. Why do we have to rid ourselves of all this stuff? Why do we have to get at it? Because bad company corrupts good character. What happens for sure is if you don't clean the house out, the stuff that you leave behind in the house is going to mess you up eventually. If I move into a house, I clean it out and say, there's a rat in the wall. Okay, well, don't worry about that. A rat in the wall won't make much damage. If you leave the rat in the wall, you'll have 10 rats in the wall. If you leave 10 rats in the wall, you'll have 110 rats in the wall. Pretty soon you won't be able to get in there. There'll be so many rats looking at you. You've got to clean the house. If you want to possess the land and you go into the land, you've got to clean out the inhabitants. You can't give your sons and your daughters to them. Very early on in the peace. And I'm not putting anything on anybody here. Okay? I'm just telling you what we did in our family. When we're early on in the peace, Janet and I looked and Jade and Renee sat at the table and they started singing, We love aeroplane jelly! Aeroplane jelly for me! And I looked at Jan and I said, Why? And I suddenly saw the thing sitting in the corner of the room speaking to my girls, You love aeroplane jelly? Buy your aeroplane jelly at Coles. And I thought, it's talking to my kids, and my kids are starting to talk the same way as it is talking. Now, I wanted my kids to sit up at the table and say, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, and worship his holy name. But no, 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 they're not doing that. They're sitting up at the table. We love aeroplane jelly, aeroplane jelly for me. I'm a little Vegemite, Vegemite, Vegemite. Whatever. I thought, you know, we've got to deal with this. There's something in our house. There's an idol in our house that's talking to our kids. They're believing it and they're starting to speak back to me the language of the thing that's sitting in the corner. And that's just the adverts. Well, that's 40 minutes of an hour if you watch it. That's 40 minutes of the hour if you watch it conditioned to buy and to sell and to covet. The other 20 is all of the immoral stuff, all the lovely news. How many times have you watched? I wonder where that aeroplane is. Oh dear, let's find out where that aeroplane is. You need to know where that plane's gone. Where is it? Somewhere, it's somewhere. But it's got you, it's got you like on a hook. And now it's commanding you. You better turn it on and watch it. You better listen to it. How does it make your day better if you know that they found a snapshot of it somewhere in the ocean? I know because I look, see? How does it make you better? How does it make you better if you, you listen to 40 minutes of advertisements? Oh, you might get a good buy somewhere down the coast. Yeah. God is sitting here and he's saying, clean out the house. Clean out the inhabitants. There was one thing that I was really grateful of. We got rid of our TV. And the kids, we got game music to listen to. And they'd go, start dancing and singing and stuff like that. And Nathan would sing, but he'd sing with his eyes closed and dance with his eyes closed because no one could see him then, you see. He was embarrassed. And I can understand that. You remember that? Yeah, it was kind of a shame. Come, Daddy, we have done a dance for you. Because they couldn't watch TV, so they'd have to choreograph a dance to Christian music. So I'd say, okay. And I'd sit down in front of them and my lovely daughters and my son are going to dance for me today. So I'd sit down. Okay. And then that. 
And Nathan would... With his eyes closed. <laughs> Come into the room. And then they'd do their little dance and we're spinning and spiraling and the hands and flying. And oh, it was lovely. And I'd sit there like... They, they were looking at me, big full face, big smile, you know, and it was just beautiful. And I'm sitting there going, I'm embarrassed. Don't know where to look anymore. It's so intense. That's what we'd missed out on if we'd had a box in the corner and I was sitting watching Days of Our Life or something. That's what I would have missed out on. All those lovely experiences of having a family and walking together with a family and experiencing something of a beautiful family life. Because that thing in the corner was dominating and we're all bowing down, going, oh, great, awesome, black flat screen. So we decided to do the radical thing. Put it up in the cupboard. Once, Nathan watched his father leave. Once. But then he forgot about it because it was too much fun outside to play. Listen to me. Idols are everywhere in our society. They're in everything. In fact, the big game plan, the big game plan is to get you worshipping something other than God. So that's what we're looking at. Old company. Old friends, old attitudes, old emotions, old ways of doing things, old places, old music, old stuff is loaded. It's all loaded to influence you. You think about it. I met this old friend of mine. We thought we would catch up. I'm trying to go on well with God, you know. I found a new bunch of people in church and my head gets clearer and I'm go- I think I'm going well. And I found an old friend who, who, and it always happens when you start going for God, you start heading up a new path, you get out of your rut, you start into something new and then knocking on the door, knock, 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 and this old face appears. He's been sent, she's been sent. They've been sent to distract you from your new path to pull you back into the old rut. And they sit there and they say to you, hey, yeah, we're going to catch up for old time's sake. You say, okay, okay, it's good to see you. It's been so long. Where you been? You know, what you been doing? Whatever happened to? And we talk about people that we knew, old friends that we had. And then all of a sudden we discover old attitudes begin to rise. Old emotions begin to, we start feeling the old ways. Oh, yeah, we really need to have, all right, all right, off we go. And we start thinking of old places. Remember we used to go such and such and that's where we used to head out. We used to hang out. Love shack, got to have a love shack. Oh, yeah, we got that one. Where we Remember our love shack? Let's go back there. Old places, old music. You know this one. You know this one really well because that's got a hook in you, old music. You put that thing on, the radio on, and you listen to it as you drive to work, and then this song comes on. And all of a sudden, you've gone somewhere else. You can see that old relationship. You can see that old thing happening. It's all happening. It's playing like a movie screen in your head. 
and all those emotions turn around and it's basically saying to you, come and bow down before me. Come and worship me. Come and sell your soul to me again. You wonder why some of these, some of these songs just don't go away. I, you know, I was amazed. I looked at the Rolling Stones. Great, good-looking guys, aren't they? Ooh. You see, I, the Rolling Stones, you know, who are they? You know the, who knows the Rolling Stones? Oh, yeah. You know, Mick Jagger just lost his girlfriend or something, and she was about 100 years younger than him. But, <laughs> but you looked at his face and you thought to myself, what is it about this guy? How, I can't get no satisfaction. You know the songs they used to use? Some of the notes. You, you got those songs? Yeah, they're all there. That was, that was in the 60s. He's been around that long. Why is it still famous? Oh, let me tell you why it's famous. Because it puts a hook in there when you listen to it. Once he's got a hook in there, he just keeps on playing the music and you just keep on biting and eating it and eating it and eating. And he's not gonna, he's not gonna go away from generation to generation. He just gets it out there and he gets the hook in there. And then they just think, you know, remember the Rolling Stones song? Yeah, I can't find no satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. You know, my life, I can't get any satisfaction. I can't get satisfaction in Jesus. I just want something. What is it? Where can I find it? Give me some satisfaction. And all you've got is people running after something now, running after an idol, running after satisfaction. I found my satisfaction in Jesus. I found my true love in Jesus. I found all that I need for life and godliness in Jesus. I have no lack. I, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't lack, He's my shepherd. Yeah, but the music comes and the music tells and the friends come and they start to talk to you. And they take you to old places. You sit there in the old place and the music is down there. And remember, I can remember those things. I can remember. Clear out the house. Clean out the land. Don't sell yourself to it any longer. It'll only take you back where you were. And where you were is not where you want to be. You want to be in a new place today. You want to be in a new stand today. You don't want to go back there. It wasn't good back there. You might think it was good, but it wasn't good. You know it wasn't good. Where you are now is better than what it was. Don't get drawn back into it. Old music, old stuff. Clean the house out. Get rid of the idols. All the things that you bow down to. Remove them. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 it is. It should be Colossians chapter 3. It's wrong up there. It says chapter 1 verses 1 to 10. It's chapter 3 verses 1 to 10. If you've got your Bibles, turn open. So read it with me in your Bibles. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, that's since we've been converted, since we've asked Jesus to come into our lives. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. So if he's talking about your hearts, he's talking about your, the part, the inner part of you. He says, you know, you have to change where you're looking. You have to change what you're thinking about. You have to take, and if he says you can set your heart on things above, that means you have the ability to do that. 
So all the stuff that comes crowding at your mind and starts boggling your mind down, you can say, oh, am I going to think about that? No, I'm going to set my mind on things above. I'm going to take a choice. I'm going to put that in a box. How many people have got a box in their head? Get a box. Put it in your head somewhere. You got a box? Put, it up. put the box in your head. You got a box? Put it in your head. You got the box in your head now? Right, open the lid of the box. All that stuff put in the box. Close it up and put it away somewhere. As soon as it starts coming at you, start saying, hey, I'm here. Oh, that's that thing. That's that old stuff. That's not the heavenly stuff. It's fixed. Look at that. That's just God. Put it in a box. Get a box. You need a box. Put a box in your head. I sometimes hear Shandal. I've had to put that in the box. You say that to me, don't you, Shandal? What's she do- what's she saying? She's saying all things that want my attention, all things that want me to bow down and pay them worship and to, to look at them and to focus on them and to give them time and service, those things, those old things aren't serving me well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put those old things in a box in my head. I'm going to put and I'm going to put the lid on it and then I'm going to push them to the side in the back of the cupboard out there. So I'm not going to think about them again. Push them in the box, push them out. You need to get a box in your head. It's called a forgettery. A forgettery. It says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I I like that. You died. What died? My old self. All the old ways. All the old connections, all the old companions, all the old feelings. Oh, they don't feel like they did. No, but on Jesus, they died with Jesus. They died with Jesus. If Jesus died for my sin and they were sinful, Jesus, they, he took them, they died with Jesus. I've got to believe that. So that's the box. That's the cross. Put them in there, they died. Put them away. They don't have to be there anymore to control you. They don't have to come and say, you know, why don't you just come with me and pull you around? Yes, this is the thing, you know. We get there and this thing comes up to us and we can feel it in our guts. It's just playing there. It's like, oh, here it is in the guts. And then it goes, come with me. And we feel it. Come with me. And we feel it. We say, what am I feeling? I'm feeling this thing is just pulling me. Oh, put it in the box. Cut it off. Put it in the box. Get out. And then get yourself onto something better. But what are you going to be? If you, if you give in to it, guess who's controlling you for the rest of your life? Doesn't matter what you do. I'm the boss. You do what I say. I'm in charge. Well, that's just worship. Worship of the strong. Who's the one who's going to be in charge? Sorry about that. Creasing your shirt, mate. That was a new shirt too. It is a lovely new shirt. I like it. You've got to decide who you're going to serve. You're going to serve someone. You're going to serve the devil. You're going to serve the Lord. You're going to serve someone. Who sang that? Bob Dylan. That's an old song. It's a good one. It's worth remembering that song. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you know, if you, it says, your life is hid with Christ in God. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, look, I just want to discover who I am in Christ. I, I'm not in Christ. I just want to discover myself. I want to find out who I am. So that's why I want to explore all these other things rather than explore God because I want to find out who I am. I, don't want, to, I want to commit my life to Jesus right now. I don't want to become a Christian right now because I want to find myself. 
Well, where did you lose yourself? Well, you're just standing right there with me right now. There you are. Why do you want to find yourself? If you like, you're there. Where are you? There you are. Why do you want to find yourself? You're not lost. What are you saying? I want to explore all the things that I want to do that have nothing to do with God so I can find out if I like anything out there. It's just an excuse to do the bad stuff. It's not an excuse. But if you're a Christian, you don't have to find yourself because you know where you're hidden. You're hidden with Christ in God. So if you want to find out where you are, you want to find out where you are? Go to the Bible and read that I am with Jesus and then find out what all the Bible tells you about who you are in Christ. Yeah, find out who you are in Christ. That's where you are. You're, you're in Christ now. I am redeemed in Christ. I am chosen in Christ. I am forgiven in Christ. I am cleansed in Christ. All of that is great news. I want to find that out. That's where I am. Look for it in the Bible. Look for it in the Bible. Find out what I am in Christ. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what I am. I'll find that in the Word of God. I don't have to look, look in a pub to find myself. I don't have to go to an art museum to find myself. I just go to the Word of God and there I am in the Word of God. It's written about me in the scroll. You can read it. You can read about yourself. That's where you find it. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Then listen to this. This is the language. This is so much like what God said to the Israelites, put them to death. Think about it as a parallel verse. He's told the Israelites when they're going into this, this terrible place with all these Canaanites and uh, Hittites and Jebusites and all these different people who are practicing really wicked stuff. He says, put them all to death. Have nothing to do with them. Don't want any of their stuff. He says, if you want their stuff, it's going to, do, it's going to be bad for you. And now we have in the New Testament now, this is New Testament teaching. He's telling us to put to death. Same idea. Well, what were they doing? Yeah, well, they were doing sexual immorality. They were doing impurity. They were doing lust. They were doing evil desires and they were doing greed. They were doing all those things that we're told to put to death. These people in Canaan were doing. So we now have to look and say, this is the land that Jesus wants to possess. And in this land that he is possessing, I find in this land that there may be sexual immorality in this land. I have to find that sexual immoral part of me and I have to put it to death. There may be greed inside of me. Well, how would I know there's greed inside of me? Well, it's just that when something comes around, I make sure I get more than everybody else because I want more than everybody else. Well, that's greed, isn't it? Well, you need to put that to death. Probably people can tell you things that are inside you more than you can see them yourself. But the Holy Spirit's faithful. He'll tell you one at a time what they are. You'll see them come up there. You get angry. You get really, really angry and say things you shouldn't say. You say things that you regret saying later. You get so cross and you say, spew. And then you think, oh, I shouldn't have really said all that. I shouldn't have said those harsh words. Yeah, that's an idol. That's an idolatry thing. That's an idol on the inside. And you need to clean the house out. He says, put them to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. See, he says, it's all idolatry. He says, all this stuff is worshipping idols. I just like looking at it, you know. I like reading it. I like watching it. 
Why do you like watching it? It kind of makes me feel kind of nice inside. Why do you do that? Let me tell you why you do that. It's got you. You don't have it. It's got you. It says to you, you better turn me on and watch me. Because if you don't turn me on and watch me, you'll be sorry. And you'll go, I, 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 I know Jesus doesn't want me to. But uh, 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 just this one last time, Jesus, let me have a little fix. <laughs> oh, I don't feel very clean now. Jesus, you still love me? He does. That's the amazing thing about the infinite love of God, that he still loves you after you do that. But what he's telling you today is stop that. Should we sin? Should we worship idols that God's grace abounds toward us, keeps on forgiving? You know what he says? No way. Get rid of the idols. Get rid of the idols. It's idolatry because these things, the wrath of God is coming. He may still love us, but if you're practicing that thing when he comes, watch out. I want to tell you something. We talked, we talked over the last few months about forgiveness, remember? And unforgiveness. We've talked about forgiving your brother. Now you... And, or forgiving your sister, or forgiving whoever has sinned against you. Now, we've talked about that for the last few weeks. I'll just mention it here for this reason. Okay, so the idol in your life is unforgiveness. Just say it's unforgiveness. That, that's up there. I just can't, I can't forgive for what he's done to me. I, I, I know I should. I can't forgive. Okay? And then the feeling comes back that you're angry at them because they did that thing to you. You, know, you just feel cross a bit inside and you think, oh, I mustn't have forgiven because I don't feel like I've forgiven them. So it's saying, I'd lie to you. It's saying because you don't feel or because you still feel hurt, you mustn't have forgiven them. So you need to tell it the truth. But it's actually telling you a lie. You haven't forgiven them. You have. You you remember that day you said, I forgive them. That's what you said. I forgive them. But the feeling is trying to deceive you. Trying to deceive you. Now listen to me. It's just simple. If you say that I didn't forgive them and I still haven't forgiven them, if you go back on your word, if you go back to where you were before, rather than telling the truth about what you did, even though I feel hurt by what that person has done, I have forgiven them and you state the truth. If you go back and say, I mustn't have forgiven them, and then you believe the lie and say, I'm not, I, I, I still don't forgive them, and you accept that, if you were to die right then, do you think that Jesus would say, come on into happy heaven? You have a problem on your hand, friends. And the problem is this. You've believed a lie, and that lie could possibly take you out of heaven. Because he could say, have you forgiven? And I know I haven't forgiven. Well, I can't forgive you if you haven't forgiven. Understand what I'm saying? It's as simple as that. If the word of God says you've got to forgive, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you, and you recant on your forgiveness... If you get deceived by some idol in the corner, you're found to be an idolater when you stand before God. What's the idol? It's unforgiveness. You, you took it back, you put it up there again, you put it on there. I will bow down and worship unforgiveness. You see? 
And then you can come to church and you can, you can fool everybody else because you, you, you do everything in church like everybody else does everything in church. And the, the bottom line is, though, you put back on the altar the thing that's been controlling you all your life, the unforgiveness. You've got to put it in that box. Wrap it up. I've forgiven already. I don't care what I feel like. I don't care what my body says. I don't care what my mind says. I don't care what is the breath. I have forgiven I have forgiven. Put the unforgiveness feeling in a box. I'm cutting off associations. I'm cutting off those bad associations. It says, says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. These are the idols. Anger. (laughs) Anger. Oh, you make me so angry. Rid yourself of that anger. Don't choose to be angry anymore. If you're going to be angry, don't sin. So I feel angry, but I'm not going to sin. Such things as rage. What's rage look like? (laughs) That's anger out of control. Slander, malice, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. I mean, if you're coming into a new life, the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to tell the truth all the time. One of the things that you'll find is so easy to do is to cover your butt because you can tell a lie. You know, you know what happens is you, you come into a church and everybody's thinking, how are you going with your life? And you think, I'm, uh, I'm not going to tell them the truth. I mean, the truth is that I'm not doing really well this week. The truth is that I had a couple of falls this week. The truth is I really need to pray. I need to, I need to get my head out of the muck. But you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's cool. You tell a lie. No one helps you now. And there's somebody who's got a word of knowledge and says, you know what? You're not fine. God told me you're doing this stuff. You know, the best thing is speak the truth to one another. Then if you're speaking the truth to one another, you can help each other. You can be supportive of one another. You can encourage one another. You can do the right thing. I got really heavy handers. You know, I'm getting some really heavy withdrawal pains happening at me at the moment. You know, I'm going through this thing. I'm trying to, I'm getting some bad withdrawal pains. Can you help me? Yeah, we'd love to help you. Let's pray for you. Let's help you get through those things. Let's do that stuff for you. Amen? I mean, but you've got to speak the truth. I mean, it's easy and it's one of those things. Just they don't need to know. They don't need to know. Just keep it to yourself. And as soon as you start lying to people around you, especially when you're on a new walk, you're slipping on slippery ground because you've made telling the truth null and void and telling the lie becomes the idol. Why? It saves me all the time. If I tell a lie, I save myself from getting into trouble. I worship great lying spirit. I get down on my knees and my face before you. Oh, great disteller of no truth. Why? I worship you because you get me out of trouble every time. I've learned to lie profusely now. Because you save me when my skin is going to be fried. I do the wrong thing. I am caught. And the way now I get out of rather than truth telling and facing it, taking responsibility, oh, great spirit of falsehood, I bow before you and I give my life to you because you save my skin because they don't know. I'm so good at lying now. They don't know whether I'm telling the truth or not. 
let, let me tell you something, friend. It's that easy to become an idol worshipper. Just keep on telling lies when you should tell the truth. Are you hearing me? Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and put them in that big box in your head and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. And Ephesians chapter 4 tells us these words. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You know, there's this thing called deceitful desires. Everybody say deceitful desires. That's good, Danny. Say it again. Deceitful desires. Mark, did you say that? Deceitful desires. Yeah, just, just let it roll off your lips a couple of times. Deceitful desires. It sounds good, doesn't it? It rolls nice, doesn't it? Deceitful desires. What are they? What are deceitful? Do, do you have deceitful desires? I can't imagine it. But it's, it's true. We all do. They are emotions... There are things that we feel that lure us or try and entice us to do something that is not correct and right. They set themselves up within it and they look and sound just like us. And they lure us, they entice us to make a choice that we wouldn't make if we were believing that we were with Jesus. So it's our sense of self that begins to draw us it's like hunger you get up in the morning and maybe god said to you look i want you to fast today you get up in the morning you think god wants me to fast laying in bed i felt really strongly that god wanted me to fast today what fast is no food Okay, for me, it may be no food. For some people, it's no food or water. That's, that's more spiritual than me. No food. Okay. So I go down to the kitchen, which is my routine, and I, and I find the coffee machine and click the coffee machine on. It starts to go. As soon as I hear that sound, that familiar old sound, that association that comes, you know, coffee machine sound association, and I hear the grind and the smell. Oh, the smell of coffee. Oh, isn't that great? Association. Deceitful desires now. What happens in my gut? Ah, it rumbles. Ah, it rumbles, yeah. You know what? And I look in there and I see quail eggs. Ooh. <laughs> bacon. Ah. Quail egg omelette with bacon slices. Cheese slightly... Melted over the whole lot, some uh, tomato with some herbs sprinkled lightly sauteed in sauce, slowly cooked gently over the flame, brought to a lovely table. Put oh, I can just see it now. I can almost taste it. Oh, that's right, I'm meant to be fasting. You see now what's happened? What's happened? Is that sin? No. That's a deceitful desire. It's a natural thing. Well, well, that's what I naturally do every in the morning. I don't have quail egg omelets every morning. No, I don't have bacon and eggs every morning. I don't eat that stuff every morning. Just so it's an illustration. Okay, it's white chocolate I eat. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <laughs> there's this draw. This is a natural thing. And my natural body starts luring me. It's not sinful. 
until I act on it and make it my, my Lord and controller, my deceitful, deceitful desires. Say it again. My deceitful desires become the controller of my mind. That's when it becomes sin. Uh, will you always have deceitful desires? As long as you live in this body, this body called a tent, you will always have deceitful desires. The question is, will you do what they tell you or will you put them aside? Are you an idolater or are you a God lover? That's the question. You all have them. Put off the old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. And to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self. It's the new mind that rules my body. It's the new mind that controls my deceitful desires. I can be craving inside. I'm not going to do what I'm craving for. You know why? Because my mind controls my spirit. The, the thing in here, the flash thing, the inner man is controlled by the Spirit of God who takes possession of my mind. I don't give in to that stuff. Is this easy? Is this easy for you? No, this is not easy. This is called fight the good fight of faith. What do you really believe now? What are you controlled by? Is the fear and the anxiety and the worry of this life? Does it plug your head and make you think that God won't look at? What are the things that plug you day and night? Sit and turn your stomach up, around and around and around. What are they doing to you? What, just, listen, take your head and put it in the heavens with Jesus. Put your head and say, I have a new mind now. It's created with Jesus. 